Welcome back to the Thermodynamic Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Miller, and today I have on the podcast another group podcast for you, actually, with Teresa Paella and Lauren De La Cruz. Um, Teresa actually has a shoulder injury from mountain biking. Um, you'll hear more about that here in just a minute, but um, we talk about some of the preventative measures that you can take whenever it comes to uh, bone injuries and things like that. Um, we talk about some of the steps that you can take while you're in the process of healing from something like that. Um, we also talk a little bit about mindset and some ways that you can um, come up to a situation like that with a positive mindset, some things to think about. Um, but we take a deep dive into this one. So I'm super excited for you to be able to listen to it. Um, and again, I just wanted to thank all of you listeners out there for listening to the podcast and being consistent. Um, I really enjoyed doing these. This is probably one of my favorite things that I get to do. So, um, I'm really grateful for all of you out there and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Thermo Diet. I'm your host, Jane Miller, and today is another group podcast with Teresa and Lauren. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, doing well, thanks. Um, so today, uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was um, kind of bone health and healing in general, because if you are watching the video right now, you can kind of see that Teresa is a little... <laughs> um, uh, beat up a little bit from her biking experience. Uh, you, do you mind kind of telling them, um, what happened and, um, we can go from there. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely completely my fault. Um, but just went down a little hill, popped off my bike, still held on to it and then landed right on my shoulder while still holding on the bike that then fell on top of me. So I kind of crunched myself into the ground. <laughs> so I'm healing a fracture and a torn rotator cuff right now, trying to support not only lowering the inflammation, healing the bone, healing the tendons, the tissues, helping my brain recover a little bit, because I think as both of you, know, as all of you know, whoever, whoever's listening, when any part of your body is inflamed, your brain is so much more sensitive to that. So I've noticed even basic acts of remembering are much more difficult. Even speaking is a little bit more difficult right now. So diving into everything, all things mineral related, red light, trying to find more creative ways to heal in the process. So, yeah. Definitely. So uh, Teresa is in the business of being a badass. That's what I'm getting from this story. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jaden. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so do y'all kind of have like a basis of things that y'all usually cover whenever it comes to bone health? Definitely. Um, I don't know if you want to go first, Teresa, but. Oh, I'll let you dive in and add on what I'm <laughs> experimenting with. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm personally helping my um, father-in-law with his osteopenia. Uh, and, you know, he's one of those guys that, <laughs> this is very personal, but he's, he's you know, I, I, he's one of those gentlemen that can be pretty stubborn when it comes to listening to alternative information. But <laughs> it's it's been fun to kind of work on this with him because, you know, it's something that he suffers from and definitely don't want to see him progress in terms of getting to full-blown osteoporosis. Um, so osteopenia is just like kind of the 
precursor to osteoporosis. And um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of stuff we can cover, but one of the things that I sort of had to really get through to him with is his vitamin D supplementation. Um, he was taking, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't even know how many I use anymore, uh, but a pretty big dose of vitamin D every day. And if you look at the research, <laughs> at least I have a couple of uh, papers that show that the more vitamin D you take per day, the more bone loss you end up yielding. <laughs> so, um, and if you know how vitamin D works, it works to liberate calcium, not only from the intestinal tract, but also, you know, from the bones to help <laughs> get it to, well, it, you know, it's constantly liberating. Um, calcium and vitamin K is where it puts it where it needs to go. He was taking tons of vitamin D and uh, not really any of the other cofactors at all. Um, not focusing on that. And his diet is also, you know, he's really particular about his diet too. So it's been difficult to kind of try to get him to shift towards more animal foods. Um, so, or specific animal foods. So that's kind of one thing that I think people probably assume, oh, bone health, vitamin D, you know, like, well, of course. And I think that comes from, you know, there is definitely uh, old research that is kind of rooted in that sort of concept where if you've ever watched uh, Hector DeLuca speak or talk about vitamin D, he does mention kind of how it came to be. And oh uh, gosh, I forget the actual scientists' names, but they figured out how to cure rickets by using cod liver oil and then separated the, the vitamin, which is rich in vitamin A and D. And th yeah. then they separated the A from the D and found that it still helped with the rickets. And this was like over a hundred years ago, maybe. Wow. A, yeah. So that's kind of how they came to find out that this was a vitamin or nutrient or substance. It's really a hormone, but um, you know, I think we've, kind of taken that a little far <laughs> our society of convenience and um comfort has taken that a little too far and you know we've kind of there's been some uh i guess i don't know what the concept is that i'm trying to say but like old historic like i guess dogmatism <laughs> yeah, yeah. that we're um not willing to also see or look at definitely other research that has shows it's much more complicated than this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, he's like, he was like super convinced that his vitamin D had to like, he had to take vitamin D. He also had to take calcium. So he was taking vitamin D and calcium. And um, he also has, uh, what's it called? Plaque building around his heart. Okay. So he has a little bit of calcification building around his heart. And when I, you know, when I heard that and like once I've got what I once I had gotten to a place where I felt really comfortable with my nutrition and um, mineral sort of education and working with clients and things like that, knew what worked, what didn't, um, you know, I had a conversation with him. <laughs> Perhaps this, you know, over supplementation of vitamin D and calcium potentially, you know, could be causing some of this plaque buildup around your heart. Um, so. And there, there is also more research that shows that high vitamin D supplementation can cause atherosclerotic plaque buildup. So, you know, it's 
oh, too much of a good thing. Suffice to say, too much of a good thing is not a good thing anymore. <laughs> um, so I've been working on him with sort of peeling back the layers and getting him on, you know, a couple of supplements because he's not too keen on changing his diet. And of course, you know, that's part of being a practitioner. You have to meet somebody where they're at and really weigh the options, pros, cons, like <laughs> is a supplement going to help this person more at this point in time, considering their current state than like getting them to overhaul their entire diet or, you know, anything like that. Cause he just really wasn't willing to budge on the diet. Um, so that said, uh, there's a couple things that I've been trying to work with him on and that's one getting, um, vitamin K in. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned before, calcium, vitamin D liberates calcium, K gets it where it needs to go, uh, specifically K2. And so definitely not getting that. And uh, <laughs> so we have him on some K drops and um, that seems to be going well. And it's a really valuable nutrient anyway that I feel like most people are deficient in. Um, you know, there's tons of variations of vitamin K2 as well. Um, I heard Sally Fallon talk about this and she says that vitamin K27 is actually not as well absorbed wow. as vitamin K24. Okay. Um, but vitamin K27 is pretty difficult to get. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of nice when you can get a complex of Ks because yeah. you're not just getting one, you know, variation, mm -hmm. you're getting the whole gamut. So I, I actually really like Mitolife's vitamin K complex. Um, although, you know, I think Thorne's vitamin K drops are also pretty good. Um, and that's expensive, but you get a lot of bang for your buck there. Um, so K, magnesium, of course. I think what most people don't realize too is that magnesium regulates vitamin D and calcium status. So if we don't have magnesium, we are going to be kind of, <laughs> um, excuse my word, uh, you know, crap out of luck. <laughs> um, so it, it regulates in various ways. Um, it, right, I mean, vitamin D needs magnesium for every step of synthesis, synthesis and uh, conversion to ac activation, I mean. Um, so you not only need magnesium to synthesize vitamin D from sun or, you know, as well as supplements, <laughs> um, but also to activate it once you... Um, are ready to utilize that vitamin D. So there's a difference between storage D and active D and there's over 50 metabolites of vitamin D. So it's, it's really complicated. And um, that said, magnesium is super important for kind of like the whole process. <laughs> um, and were you going to say something, Teresa? Oh, it just reminds me before we jumped on this call, just thinking about the context of most of us and maybe many of our listeners living very magnesium depleting lives in terms of really high stress, maybe plant-based diets, which could be high in magnesium, but maybe thrown off by a lack in even just the vitamin K or the gut dysbiosis that is blocking our ability to make our own vitamin K. So I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm thinking back to the younger version of myself and so many family members and friends where we take our bone health and basic functioning for granted until we get to a point where we realize, wow, this is not only complicated, but so necessary for us to understand in order to 
take charge of our health. So I just, I appreciate you breaking it down and stepping in to support someone who could so benefit from just a little nudge in the right direction, you know, maybe starting with some Gouda and then maybe some vitamin K drops if they need a little bit more of a boost, but yeah. Oh, Gouda. I love Gouda. And it's, I think it's the highest, it's the cheese highest in vitamin K too. Is that right? Might be something like that. I've heard that. Um, yeah. So that said, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and yeah, magnesium, most of us are deficient. One, because we live in a very magnesium depleted environment, but two, our metabolism suck. <laughs> like, um, I think there's something like 80, there was like a study released, I forget which school, um, but it said only 88% of, oh, sorry, 12% of Americans <laughs> have a healthy metabolism. I don't know how they measured this. I, I have yet to kind of dive into that research, but um, it says, you know, 12, only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. And the worse your metabolism is, the worse you're going to be at retaining magnesium too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah, we have to kind of replenish in a smart way too, because of course there's the mineral balancing aspect of, of that too. Um, if you take too much magnesium without sufficient sodium and potassium, you're going to lower the, the others um, pretty significantly pretty quickly. And that's why a lot of people feel pretty crappy when they take magnesium or those that do feel crappy. That's why. Um, so others though, you know, they start taking it and they're like, oh my God, I feel amazing. I could sleep. I'm going to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> um, so magnesium is really important. Um, and also uh, is really important for, so it, it's really important for calcium status in that regard, like vitamin, regulating vitamin D. It's important for parathyroid status. Mm. Um, and it's important for cal calcitonin status as well. Mm. Um, so calcium is generally regulated by magnesium and vitamin D too. Um, and so I think a lot of people miss out on that part. They're, they're only thinking, oh, vitamin D, you know, but of course nature is so sophisticated that <laughs> if we overlook and just think compartmentally, then we're missing a lot of the points. Um, another big one is vitamin A. Mm -hmm. So retinol, and of course that's because it, well, in pregnancy, which is specifically like one of my that's my niche, my, my area of practice. Um, vitamin A is actually really, really important for normal growth and development and symmetry. Um, if, oh, we're missing, yeah, if we're missing vitamin A, and that when I say vitamin A, I don't mean beta carotene, I mean retinol, so preformed vitamin A, not um, the precursor kind, which is beta carotene. And that requires a lot of meta metabol good metabolic health and thyroid hormone to get converted. Um, <clears throat> that is really important for bone health as well. And, you know, if, if you ever come across anyone that has birth defects or, you know, kind of run into that, hopefully not, but <laughs> it's a really, usually birth defects come, come about because of vitamin A deficiency, um, which kind of regulates so many gene expressions. Uh, so that's another one that is really important. Can I ask a question? Yeah. In terms of asymmetry and birth defects, I'm so curious even about the idea of scoliosis and that kind of imbalance. 
what might be some causes there? Is that retinol dependent too, or is it more maybe even like heavy metal exposure that could be throwing off other minerals and causing some lopsidedness? Cause I see that a, a lot in people, even if it's just like a minor scoliosis or a minor shift, most people are pretty crooked these days. And I'm trying to figure this out. How far back does this go? That's a really good question. I'm not totally sure, to be honest. Um, I would assume that vitamin A, if you know, if it's coming from infancy, infancy, excuse me, and you can actually see that the baby or the infant is growing up to be like a little bit sclerotic, um, potentially, I would say that my physical therapist would probably argue that it's also has a lot to do with um, kind of strength of the other muscles around the body. Um, but there's definitely some pretty clear, like, this is almost impossible to control <laughs> muscularly. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really interesting. I'll, I'll have to check into, into that. Um, Jaden, do you have an idea? Um, the first thing that came to mind was the gait cycle. So just okay. looking at your gait and seeing the actual movement and development. Um, see, a lot of times I see scoliosis later on in people's lives. So like mm-hmm. late adolescence, early adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually from a lack of proper movement in the development mm-hmm. stages. So anywhere wow. from when they start walking around two years old to probably around 15, 16 is whenever uh, I've seen it the most, especially like in high school. I remember we had a few kids that developed it from middle school up into high school. Um, And I think for one, it's just because everybody's sitting all day. So like the lack of development of certain muscles um, causing kind of the imbalance in the pull um, of certain like, have y'all ever looked at anatomy trains? No. Um, So Dr. Myers, his work is really good. Uh, If y'all haven't watched, he has a really good uh, interview on YouTube, Thomas Myers. Okay. which some of his stuff is kind of woo-woo, but at the same time, it's uh, extremely interesting. And he talks about like how there's certain muscular slings that go from like, for instance, your right shoulder down to your left hip and your left shoulder down to your right hip. And it does the same thing from the glute to the top of the shoulder on the backside. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you have improper development there, I can definitely see how it would cause a twist in the spine. So yeah. interesting. Okay. Very interesting. My physical therapist would say like everyone has a balance somewhere. No one's like structurally yeah. perfect, but um, I think retinol can have a lot to do with how extreme that mm-hmm. gets. Because <laughs> um, I, I think, so I've heard Morley talk about this and um, Dr. Weston A. Price as well. I think some of his research is rooted into this that like, and I think this is actually true <laughs> that when a baby is, you know, starting to get formed, there are 36 or I forget the number, but like the teeth, there's like a separation, a division of like, um, oh, I don't know what to call them, but half of them become teeth and half of them become your skeleton or your spine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just totally probably confused everyone, but um <laughs> I think it sounds like a horror story, but I love it. I think it's really interesting. So that, that division, you know, not only to create teeth, but also the spine that has to be probably regulated by retinol, Mm -hmm. which is the most 
genetically regulating nutrient, um, in my opinion. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's super interesting. I'll have to look into Do- Dr. Uh, Thomas Meyer's work. I'm glad you even brought up the retinol because in my healing process, that's something I haven't thought about. Yes. In terms of liver, just for normal, full systemic health, but that is new to me. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And it's twofold too. So there's another aspect that retinol plays or into. Um, So iron, excess iron prevents osteoblasts from, which are the cells that help us uh, regenerate bone uh, from doing their job. So they kind of put a halt on osteoblast uh, function or activity. Uh, and so that's really important because if we're, especially if we're constantly breaking down bone to liberate calcium, we also need to be regenerating it. Um, and so if we're taking, you know, a lot of vitamin D, we have excess iron in our tissues, like there's going to be a really big problem. Um, so what regulates iron is copper, specifically activated copper, which is called ceruloplasmin. It's a copper protein complex. And in order to activate copper, the mineral into ceruloplasmin and load it into that protein, you need retinol. So that's kind of how retinol and copper and iron can play a good role or a bad role in bone health. So my father-in-law is really not into organ meats or anything like that. And so I have him on desiccated beef liver pills (laughs) and, you know, he's really not into dairy either, uh, unfortunately. So (laughs) I have him on a little bit of pearl powder as well for some calcium, just a little. Um, But yeah, so there's a couple of things. um, Those are a couple of things that I would probably, you know, have someone consider if they were having bone issues, Mm -hmm. especially osteoporosis or anything like that. And then there's a whole aspect of hormones and like xenoestrogens that can also play a role. Um, But I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Teresa, in in terms of like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, as you speak again, I'm just thinking about my past self and it was, I think 11 years ago now when I had my DEXA showing that I had severe osteoporosis and I figured it out first because I had a stress fracture and that seemed like a big warning sign considering I should have been young and healthy and vital, but here I was, you know, cracking my bones. And at the time, the only recommendation from the doctor was just to take calcium and ibuprofen, I should add calcium and ibuprofen. And my knowledge kind of ended there for many years until I started taking much deeper dives. So even just thinking about the bone matrix, that's something I'm learning more about right now in terms of keeping that healthy and alive and vital. So I've been playing around a little bit with even just the idea of having my shoulder under red light in addition to the diet, but making sure that other factors are, are also taken care of too, which again, very, it's, it's more new to me than I, uh, than I thought I, these things I definitely took for granted until all of a sudden you have no choice, but to dive right in. But, um, no, nothing to add to that. I think you covered a, a beautiful range of what's necessary just to keep that, our frame functioning and happy. <laughs> Do you know what your diet looked like during that time? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, so leading up to it, standard American diet. I had always loved just like white, simple foods as a kid. Uh, so very nutrient deficient. And then when the fracture happened, I was vegan and I was living out of the college cafeteria. So mostly tofu, lots of spinach because I thought it was healthy at the time. And granted I craved it. So there again, maybe was some underlying wisdom in the body, trying to self-correct, trying to get some minerals, but not the absorbable kind, lots of soy milk, uh, grape nuts were a staple bananas and bagels, probably like the classic runner diet, <laughs> at least the collegiate athlete runners diet. So so lacking in so many things. And even just, again, thinking back to light exposure, I would be outside maybe for practice, but the rest of the day as a student, I was in Minnesota at the time, very, very little light aside from just the fluorescent blue lights of the library or my classes. So, so many things that were out of whack um, and very, very high stress. I think a lot of people can relate to the the lack of balance that's inherent in a lot of college living days and things are so easily just tipped over when we take things for granted again, when we're living in ways that we're not thinking about our future self or our older self. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny looking back. <laughs> I'm surprised well, I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, I think, I think we've all had experiences like that, which is probably why we do what we do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all about learning and growing from there and, you know, looking forward, but only backwards as an educational experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you mentioned stress too. That's like a huge uh, demineralizing uh, thing for bones. Uh, you know, high stress will demineralize bones. And I think what people don't realize too is bones are made of way more than just calcium. <laughs> They're made of potassium, magnesium, boron, manganese, uh, silica, which is something you mentioned was really important as well. And definitely a, a big miss on a lot of people's parts. Um, phosphorus, of course, uh, sulfur, chromium, and like all these trace minerals. So making sure you're getting enough minerals in general, and especially if you live a stressed, you know, a very stressful life, remineralizing is really important, not only for metabolic health, but for bone health too. Mm -hmm. And something to add that I've enjoyed and adding back in now, but even just cooking down the chicken bones to the point where they're falling apart and really, really tender, they taste really good to me. And it just feels like an easy way to get some of those minerals in without throwing off the balance of some of the overlooked minerals. So that's been fun to just think about really simple and affordable ways to support the healing process. Yeah, that's super, super good. One of the things that um, Ray Pete talks about in one of his interviews, I don't know if y'all got the chance to watch those, was that um, whenever he was in Mexico, whenever he started uh, Blake College, he um, found out that wheat germ had a lot of the nutrients that could sustain him as far as like um, protein and certain vitamins and minerals and stuff like that. So he started to eat a hefty amount of it. And over time, he noticed that his teeth started to decay. And it was because the wheat germ is extremely high in phosphate. 
Um, and so his phosphate to calcium ratio was completely out of whack. Um, so he said once he brought down the phosphate and increased the calcium in his diet, um, it completely reversed the, the tooth decay. Um, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I was thinking back to, again, some of my vegan days, my teeth started turning gray and some of the people, uh, in, in that realm of healing said it was normal, that it's a part of detoxing the body. But if for anyone listening, if your teeth are turning gray, definitely not normal. And it's maybe the first sign that your whole <laughs> structure is demineralizing. So something to look into. <laughs> Definitely. I would say um, same thing for people who are on the like carnivore and very meat heavy diets is um, mm. just making sure that you balance out that high phosphate ratio with plenty of calcium in the diet as well. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really possible to also do that on a plant based diet too, because so many plants are high in phosphorus. And then you have the oxalates that make it really difficult to and, the, you know, other phytic acid, other anti-nutrients that really need to be somewhat neutralized by properly preparing, which is definitely something that even, you know, that said, <laughs> I see a lot of uh, uh, vegan sort of proponents like say, oh, anti-nutrients don't matter at all. Don't worry about them. Like just eat the raw, whatever. <laughs> just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Cause I've seen the, the damage done. I, I, I wish I could have done like a hair tissue mineral analysis on myself after I was vegan or well, during when I was vegan, I was vegan for a year and a half to two years in college as well. Oh, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it really wrecked me for a very long time, just even after coming off of it. But um, yeah, I think it's really important. And at that time, I didn't really know how to prepare foods either. It was mostly yeah. eating from the college cafeteria. Exactly. So like, what's vegan? Okay, all of these raw vegetables at the salad bar. <laughs> That's what you, you kind of ate in the tofu. Yeah. Um, like yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's there could have been more opportunity to properly prepare foods. But even, you know, some of the most, I guess, well-known vegan proponents are like, yeah, don't worry about those. They're not real. <laughs> to give them some credit, the don't worry about it, I think is valuable. Again, honoring that stress mm -hmm. is depleting what <laughs> we need to stay balanced. But I think it's, <laughs> there's a, a level of delusion and being real about your circumstances and being very peacefully aware and proactively moving forward. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I wish I would have had a more of like a I lost my period on the vegan diet and <laughs> normal, right? Normal, <laughs> totally normal. And, um, you know, I was in a way I was so, uh, uninformed that I was like, Oh, this is great. I don't have to deal with you know, <laughs> monthly menses, but looking back and, you know, after one of the reasons I came off of it was like, this is not good for me. I need my period. It's important. So Yeah. <laughs> I would say some of the tangible steps that I've accumulated over the years from breaking several bones and things like that is to, I was probably sleep whenever I, I had a few broken bones. I've broken about three fingers during football. And then I've also um, had surgery on both of my feet because I had bones growing misdirectionally. Um, during those times, 
I was probably sleeping around 12 hours a day. Um, I would make sure not to be in a calorie deficit as that's going to exacerbate the issue. Um, I think that I was also, uh, it's kind of funny. I was reading a lot um, because I couldn't do anything. I didn't have my feet. So it was (laughs) the only thing I could do. Um, And it was actually extremely peaceful. So I noticed that the psychological part of it kind of took care of itself with that. Um, I would also say that just making sure that your protective hormones are balanced, uh, Mm -hmm. is very, very important. Uh, making sure that along with the vitamin A and the thyroid, you have plenty of cholesterol available, um, to synthesize the pregnenolone, um, into the other steroid hormones. And then, um, yeah, just making sure that you eat foods that have bioavailable sources of calcium and magnesium and things like that. I think that's something that's very important um, because a lot of the times like vegetables can be dense in a lot of these minerals, but they're not available for the body to take up. So um, just making sure that you get good sources. And as far as supplementation, it is the carbonate form that you want to supplement with, correct? For the eggshell calcium or? Mm -hmm. That's Um, what, oh, go ahead, Lauren. I know that that's very popular in the pro-metabolic community, but I disagree. Oh, um, yay. Okay. I'm so glad yeah. we're talking about this then because I know there's, it's, it's just like the, or the vitamin D debate. There's a lot of controversy. So great. I'm yeah. excited to listen. Calcium carbonate is actually the calcium that you would give a reptile. Um, like if you own, ever owned a reptile, I haven't, but you know, that's the egg where you give a reptile it takes 11 steps to convert or 11 conversion steps to make that calcium. Uh, I guess we, we would say calcium bicarbonate. Um, so if, if we really truly need to supplement calcium, my preferred source is something like a whole food source, like pearl powder or um, yeah, pearl powder <laughs> um, or calcium lactate. Mm-hmm. calcium lactate is going to be pretty easily absorbed but um that said you know it's a really beautiful way to make the most of what you know you're of all of your food kind of like from nose to tail you're really making use of the uh, eggshells as well which is a really nice way to uh, get more from what you're creating mm-hmm. um but I, I do think that it can be irritating for some people because it's just so difficult to process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it could potentially create more stress, especially if the person is um, uh, not in a more fragile state. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like what you said, Jayton, because it's really important to make sure that you're in an anabolic state or at least supporting those anabolic hormones because yeah. If, um, and this is totally off topic from the calcium thing, so I'm sorry. Um, but um, <laughs> if you think about, you know, catabolism, which is probably what got you there, if you just a bone spontaneously breaks yeah. um, versus, you know, of course there are injuries and accidents, like <laughs> how, how you experienced your shoulder issue, Teresa, but um, making sure that you're supporting your anabolism because anabolism is like the building whereas catabolism is breaking down so if you can get your progesterone your thyroid your dhea up that's going to be really supportive so and that's of course goes along with minimizing stress as much as possible um but sorry tangent um yeah calcium lactate is probably what i would do (laughs) 
Well, that actually reminds me that tangent was beautiful because again, thinking about a lot of runners, the coaches tell them that it's normal to lose your period that, you know, it's when you're at your ideal state, you're at a certain body weight, you may have lost your fertility, but not to worry about it, but even just thinking about how protective progesterone is to the bone. So we're, we have layers upon layers that are leading us to dysfunction that we maybe are not even realizing. So it's, it's good to start to understand just the really simple ways of, Oh, okay. The body might need a little bit of this or, Oh, wow. Just eating at a calorie excess for a bit could actually be very healing and therapeutic to a system is, is a simple way to think about supporting the body. I've actually talked to uh, several Olympic runners on the female Olympic team here in Boulder and mm-hmm. not a single one had a period. And it's kind of interesting because um, they're just constantly pushing their body to that, that over that stress threshold, um, which they're phenomenal athletes. But as far as their everyday health, it was kind of interesting to observe in some cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Athletes, female athletes, that's always like a, it's it's hard to balance the performance aspect and then the, the actual you know well-being <laughs> aspect because it's easy to brush that stuff off like oh it's normal but it it really is important and that's why i think athletes once they um once they retire everything starts going downhill really really quickly <laughs> yeah. so what's sustainable what isn't And I want to ask you both while we're on the topic about even just tissue and tendon and ligament health, because again, I think the calcium to phosphorus ratio feeds in stress feeds in, but also some of these other building blocks. And I know you mentioned colostrum and maybe we could dive into some of these more creative supplements or foods that can support overall tissue function. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to dive in, Jayton, but when thinking about, um, I guess, supporting body parts, I like to think about it like gets like. So I think that's why organ meats can come into such a, a, uh, I guess, a a big role in in sort of healing. And that's why it's used in Chinese medicine. Um, You know, the thymus will help the thymus that even, you know, uh, oh gosh, what was I reading the other day? I think the Maori tribes, um, they, uh, those traditional um, cultures, the more untouched, and this was in what Dr. Weston A. Price's research too, the Maori tribes would traditionally have uh, a couple getting preparing to get married, um, eat the testes and the um, ovaries of shark, which they would catch, uh, as like a preparation for, you know, I guess conception, because that would usually come really quickly after marriage um, in those tribes. And so, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, you consume the organ that you want to support. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I would consume probably if I was trying to support ligaments, that's why bone broth is so important because, you know, you're taking the um, cartilaginous um uh, substances out of these bones and these, uh, you know, trotters, for example, pig trotters, chicken feet, um, those are all really rich in those same tissues. And so if you make broth out of them, you know, you could eat them if you want. I know that pickled, uh, what is it? Pickled chicken feet is like a delicacy somewhere. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know if I'm that brave, but I would definitely try it. Um, but yeah, you know, like supports like. So uh, I don't know. That's kind of how I would look at it and try to get really um, co- collagen rich, which is basically what the primary um, substance that makes these tendons and ligaments. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, and make sure also, though, when you're looking at everything else, because if you're in a catabolic state, you're going to be breaking those tissues down to create energy and you're not going to be able to sustain those tissues. So making sure you're kind of like holistically looking at it as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, like gets like, and that's kind of what I would do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned that you're already doing the red light therapy. I think that that is a really good idea. I think um, maybe like a topical magnesium ointment on the joint would be really good from an environmental that's a good idea. perspective. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I would also try supplementing with glycine. I know that yeah. um, Saturated Official has a really good glycine supplement. Um, there's a new guy. Um, his name's Real Sobra on mm-hmm. Instagram. He actually has a really good glycine supplement. Um, now Foods Glycine is pretty good. So yeah. um Supplementing with a little bit of extra glycine would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also as like a preventive, one of the preventative measures that I would take for some of the listeners would just be movement. So like giving your bones a reason to be strong is very important because um, mm-hmm. if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, so I would just make sure to give your bones a reason to stay around by at the very least, just walking on a daily basis and um, kind of, getting your body around. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, you did mention the BPC 157. I think that that is something worth researching and looking into for sure. Um, but yeah, those are all the tips that kind of come off to my mind that are actionable right off the bat. Yeah. All things that have been floating around the topical magnesium though. That's a great idea. Cause I've been, you know, baths are great, but you can't do those as easily throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even been exploring more just like soft tissue work, like self massage and like gentle, gentle rolfing and trigger pointing techniques, not to the point of pain at all, but just to help with blood flow and help free up the fascia, because that's something that I didn't expect. It's like, I know a lot of people talk about fascia as if we're, we have this entire suit. We're like in a sock basically. So you tighten one area and then somewhere else also tightens as if we're, you know, just completely constricted. So I'm finding new areas. Say I start working on my hip and then I'll have less pain in my shoulder, which is amazing to experience to such an intensity that I never realized before. So in a way, the, hmm? Thomas Myers actually talks a lot about fascial tissue. Um, he talks about like the calcification of fascial tissue and how to break up that calcification and stuff like that. Um, he does a really good job. I've also seen some really interesting studies showing um, kind of like meditating on the healing of the specific area. Um, I don't remember exactly like the statistics statistical significance of the studies, but I do know that the ones who actually took time to meditate and within their minds kind of pictured the tissues coming back together and healing strong, um, had a shorter healing period. So I would definitely say that to work that into your meditative practice, if you have one. That makes sense to me in terms of lowering stress and just 
positive outcomes and thinking about the cascade of protective hormones again, when we believe when we're sending, I mean, without sounding too woo-woo, but good energy there. And I'm sure even the the potential of the brain to say, oh, okay, she's thinking about that. We should put some more blood flow there, put some more nutrients there. So it makes, makes sense to me. And I even, I like thinking of these simple things we can do beyond having to see another expert <laughs> or get another scan or, you know, worst case scenario, get snipped. That's uh, not in the, not in the, that makes me think of testicle snipping, but I mean, in terms of <laughs> surgery, that's something I've been really trying to avoid. So all of these tips are, are beautiful. Awesome. One more thing too, this is, uh, I guess, you know, harder to control. Um, and, I think it has more long-term effects than, you know, immediate effects. So maybe it wouldn't sort of apply to this situation, but um, Dr. Stephanie Seneff talks a lot about how glyphosate, which is an herbicide, um, one of the issues she believes that, or, or I guess one, one of the reasons people are experiencing more bone issues than ever before, I don't know how true that is, but I, I would imagine that we're having a lot of bone issues. We're having a lot of issues as a society in general. Um, but um, she talks about how glyphosate will swap glycine uh, for alanine. I think it's alanine. Um, so it's a less structurally sound, um, oh, you know, your bones are becoming less structurally sound uh, in, if you're consuming, you know, high glyphosate content foods. And um, you know, it's, it's difficult to regulate that because it's just pervasive and it can be found in water. And so <laughs> water filtration is another aspect of things and not everyone can buy organic. Um, but it's also important because glyphosate chelates copper, um, which is essential for regulating iron. So it can kind of compound the sort of like osteoporotic effects that iron can have on um, bone. So I don't know. It's just another consideration. And of course, yeah. you know, overwhelm, kind of like figure out what you want to focus on because <laughs> I'll take it all. <laughs> it's easy to be able to like get overwhelmed and be like, oh my God, I have to do all these things, but like focus on one or two. And then like, you know, as you sort of master those things, like take on another one if you feel like it. I think keeping the stress low is the most important thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's worth saying. Um, because we just come in contact with that kind of stuff now all the time. And what a metaphor too, thinking about how we treat the earth we live in and are clearly showing, or we are seeing our structures really falling apart in terms of society not being supportive to our health. And here we are with a lot of people, a lot of young people with pretty serious I don't want to say health issues, but kind of, I think a lot of people are far sicker than they realize even, or are super young and already have this level of diagnoses or a certain number of diagnoses and autoimmune conditions. So I think, yeah, glycine is another one of these wonderful things to help even bind to the glyphosate. I'm not, I haven't looked at too many of the studies, but it seems like a promising way to help get it out of the body if we are unnecessarily exposed. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, glycine is really important for detoxification, especially of like those um, chemicals or, you know, 
exogenous <laughs> chemicals. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it'll benefit not only for, you know, bone health, bone repair, but also detoxification. Mm-hmm. Um, if this opens up a can of worms that's too big, uh, let me know. But one of the things that I've kind of been thinking about, and I would be curious as to what your opinions are on it, is the healing effects of touch, um, <sighs> just in general. Um, what do you all kind of think of that specifically? I've been thinking, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, you go for it, Teresa. Well, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because I was just talking to my husband about this and I feel like of anything I'm doing right now, that's been the most helpful first in terms of lowering stress, but well, maybe just first, in, yeah, that feeling of when stress lowers almost immediately but when someone has good intention too, when they care about you, when they love you, I'm sure we'll start to be able to measure this more. But I even just honoring ancient wisdom and ancient healing techniques, I feel like there's been that awareness that being touched matters. And even just thinking about some of the um, the studies with kids in orphanages that are not touched and they have very different developmental stories and even their heads look different. I think, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, but their heads are much, much bigger. Um, And of course the cognitive behavioral development is shifted, but coming back to even cuddling with an animal that you love or the power of a hug to upregulate some of those protective hormones and flood the body with those, you know, warm and fuzzies for lack of a better word, I think is so helpful. And yeah, I feel very lucky to be living with someone that I love and that loves me because, you know, every once in a while I'll just <laughs> go interrupt in between a call or something and just ask for some some gentle touch. So I think it's a, a big piece of it too. And maybe we'll even allow for just speedier healing, you know, retaining those minerals, not burning through my magnesium so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I haven't done research on that specifically but there is something to be said about how our parents and when we were younger you know I know that might not be the case for everyone but you know their touch is such a relief (laughs) or can be like that's how they've taught us to self well soothe um even when we were babies that's kind of what you do you you pick the baby up and you rock them and you you know sort sort of like teach them how to self-soothe. Um, and I have a friend that's a therapist and I know that um, during this, you know, I guess earlier in the quarantine when we really couldn't see a lot of people, it's kind of getting a little better now, but for those people leaving alone, um, she would recommend going to at the least like get a massage once every couple of weeks because that touch is so important. Just physical human touch. I think that's, if it's not on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it probably should be. I don't know if it is, um, but there's just something so healing about it and so soothing that um, I think it really matters. I want to check the pyramid now because I feel like that should be with food, shelter, water. Yeah, just thinking about how critical that is and seeing what happens when we don't have healing touch or just mm-hmm. loving touch or just touch in general. I feel like maybe even neutral touch could be beneficial. Yeah. Uh, we touched on this a minute ago. Yesterday, uh, I read The Four Agreements. Um, by, oh, 
I think it was Don, Don Ruiz. Yeah, I believe so. And yep. he talks about um, the first agreement is impeccability of the word. And he was talking a lot about, you know, we can cast spells or curses on people with our words or on ourselves with our own intentions and the way that we speak to ourselves. So um, I think that the perspective that you take with your healing journey is very, very important whenever something out of the like blue just happens like this is to realize that it happens to everyone. It's going to happen inevitably if you are doing something that is probably worth doing anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, my weakness is skiing or riding my motorcycle. I know that with skiing specifically, it, I mean, I have a few tweaks and tears because of it, but I just look at it as it's part of the process and mm it's not really something that I'm willing to give up either. So I have to be as positive as I can while I'm taking part in it at least. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that actually makes me think of our last conversation, but really mindset is so important because if we're doing all these beautiful things, but setting off a constant stressor, we're, we're depleting ourselves unknowingly. So I think bringing more attention to what we do have control over, which is how we perceive things, how we choose to grow from things. And even just feeling empowered that we have the choice to expand and by doing fun and maybe dangerous things, we'll be learning in the process. So <laughs> always, always a chance to get some perspective. Totally. I, I would agree. I think mindset's probably the biggest challenge <laughs> of all. <laughs> so the more you can sort of uh, play that game with yourself and really get yourself in a good space and self-acceptance, all that, all that good stuff that you might need to go through is so important. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to be respectful of both of your time. Um, I'm super grateful for both of y'all hopping on here today. Uh, I enjoy our conversations immensely. Um, so thank you all again. And for all those of you listening, um, make sure to go check them out on Instagram, their website, stuff like that. Do y'all want to give a little plug real quick? Sure. Yeah. Living Roots Wellness on Instagram and also livingrootswellness.com. So pretty easy to find. Teresa Piela is my name. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then Lauren Delacruz and my Instagram is innate functional nutrition and innate is spelled I N as in Nancy. And as a Nancy ATE, just in case, although it's, maybe it's Nancy, <laughs> um, if you watch Archer. And then um, innate-nutrition.com. Awesome. We all make sure to go check them out and we'll talk next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment down below if you want us to cover a different topic.